Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the next episode of the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention podcast. We are broadcasting it today from the Bridging the Divide 2018 conference here in Denver, Colorado. This is a conference about suicide prevention and awareness, and we're joined today by Anne-Marie Matulis and Tracy Medeiros, and they're going to talk to us a bit about their work in suicide prevention. So welcome, Tracy and Anne-Marie. Thank you. It's good to be here. So why don't uh, you start, Anne-Marie? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this work. Okay. uh, As briefly as possible, um, uh, 35 years in the public health forum. Uh, started out with domestic violence and suicide prevention, um, substance abuse prevention. Um, over a period of time, did a lot of advocacy work, community activism, um, developed some coalitions, some task forces. Um, it was more of an avocation than um, it wasn't my job. I wasn't paid to do that. It was almost all volunteer work. And uh, about <clears throat> 10 years ago, the Department of Public Health in Massachusetts asked if I would um, sidestep over into suicide prevention. We at that time, this is back in 2007-8, we had had an extraordinary number of teenage suicide attempts in our county. We're from Bristol County in Massachusetts. It's in southeastern Mass. Um, And so then I got involved in suicide prevention, knew nothing about it. Um, And I say that because um, friends brought Tracy to me almost 20 years ago and said, um, this kid's going to die if someone can't get through to her. And and the reality is she almost did. She had her last attempt. But still at that point, I knew nothing about suicide. You know, I, it, it was a huge learning curve for me to get involved. But once I found out that we had no resources, we had no support, we had we had no one who you, you couldn't even talk openly about suicide, I did what I typically do. I jumped in and raised hell. Absolutely. And I feel like that's how a lot of us sometimes jump into suicide prevention through a personal connection or yeah. a close experience. Yeah. So uh, why don't you jump in, Tracy? Tell us about yourself and uh, what brought you to the table. Um, well, actually, Anne-Marie brought me to the table. I was always a suicide attempt survivor, but I never really knew um, that I was. You know, um, I heard a law survivor speak. Um, and then I suddenly realized that from her loss of her son, uh, Adam, to suicide, when I realized what she had gone through, I realized that, oh, my God, I almost did that to my family, and I didn't want that to happen to my family. And, uh, and then I realized I was a suicide attempt survivor. But, you know, I mean, years prior to that, when, like Anne-Marie was saying, how she started with um, domestic violence, she actually came to me and said, so what are you doing for the rest of your life? <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. I thought it was funny. So I was like, well, why, you know? And, um, and then she said she wanted to start doing this uh, domestic violence uh, coalition, getting together, and then we finally opened a teen center uh, try to promote uh, nonviolence and mm. take the kids off the streets yep. and give them a safe haven to hang out into. And then it just suddenly, like, all started to really transform into suicide uh, prevention work. And me not knowing really anything about it, um, I started to work in the field as a peer specialist, you know, because I had someone that was listening to me 
um, speak at a coalition about uh, mental health issues and stuff like that. And she said, you'd be really great for this job, for this agency. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And she was like, she was like saying, oh, well, you know, they need people to work with people who have mental health issues to work with other people who have mental health issues. And I was like, what? And I didn't get it at first, but when I got hired, I slowly was able to come into form and really grasp the uh, peer specialist role. And, um, and it just took off from there. And then just one thing led to another. You know, me and Anne-Marie, we just really kept on working at it, working harder at it. I kept staying well, which was good, you know. Um, and now I, I, go, I went from being in a program to working in a crisis unit now, so as a certified peer specialist. So I help, I help people. I develop the groups. I help them with their coping skills, learn new coping skills. I help them with that. Um, I've also developed a, uh, a group, uh, program, um, f- for, for the people that come in off the unit, you know, I mean, their stay there is only between, uh, three to seven days. That's as long as they can stay there. So it's kind of like a step down from an outpatient. Okay. So you both mentioned sort of, there was resources missing or oh, you yeah. needed something and it just wasn't there. So you wanted to be part of the solution. Just tell us a little bit about uh, what a you all are developing. Of, we, I got before, um, as we were deforming it, uh, the Department of Public Health, uh, Massachusetts, um, gave me tremendous guidance and support um, to do work first locally and then regionally. So we started just in a small section of uh, the city of Taunton and its surrounding five cities and towns. And then um, within a, a year or so, uh, DPH said, I kept going to the state coalition meeting and raising my hand and saying, well, I hear all these regional coalitions giving reports. We have nothing in the southeastern Massachusetts. And they'd say, mm-hmm. And I'd go and I'd raise my hand again and I'd say, we have nothing in southeast." Three years of raising my hand and saying, we have nothing in southeastern Massachusetts. And then my man who became my boss said, you're it. And wow. I, I had my hand up and I went, <laughs> Why did I do that again? Why did I do that again? So we developed the Bristol County Regional Coalition for Suicide Prevention. We have 10 in the Commonwealth across the state, all under the blanket of the Department of Public Health. Um, And so we started small. You know, we started just um, doing some basic things. We all went for our very first. The first training we became trainers for was Paul Quinette's QPR. Okay. So, of course, that was what we knew, and that's what we ran with. I mean, so we were, like, doing QPR everywhere. Um, in, in the county, you know, people said, oh, here they come again. They're going to do that letter thing. Um, and we started that, and then um, uh, AFSP reached out and sort of grabbed me by the shoulder and said, we'd like you to become a Safe Talk trainer, um, and we want you Safe Talk trained. So that, And first we did the Safe Talk training. Then right. I went to become a trainer for Safe Talk, um, and then we did assist, and, and then we assist. became trainers for assist. Um, yeah. And then AFSP came back around, and I'm now considered, they use this strange term, master trainer for AFSP across the board, except for Suicide to Hope. I don't, I, I'm not a clinician. I don't do that one. But okay. our friend For does. our listeners that may not be as familiar with those programs, uh, can you give us okay, a brief so rundown? A, a brief rundown would be um, Talk Saves Lives, which is very much like QPR. 
Um, they have a brand new one out now. It's called It's Real. It's it's. Uh, you might want to explain QPR too. Uh, question persuade refer for QPR. <laughs> um, it's it's the absolute bare bones basic. Uh huh. This is what you should be looking for. Which of now, of course, I take great exception to. It's too narrow. What we should we can't we we have to stop saying that. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, if you follow the listserv on AAS, you've seen the battle going back and forth on that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Which I think is about time. Um, and then uh, Talk Saves Lives is very much like that. It's just a very basic, here's what's happening. Who are you going to refer that person to? You're not doing anything else but being alert and aware. Um, uh, Safe Talk is a three-hour session. The other two are usually about an hour. Lunch and Learn is the kind of thing. Okay. Safe Talk is a three-hour session. Um, and it can we can bring it into middle schools. Um, uh, I know uh, Living Works. I think wants it at 15, right. um, but we have done it a little younger with successfully. And I've written to uh, Living Works about that. Um, assist is the hardest one. That's the Applied Suicide Intervention Skills. Uh, that's a two-day, 14-hour intense. Uh, talk the person down off the bridge type training. Now, in our hearts, I think we both agree we'd love to have everybody assist trained. It's also one of the most expensive to deal with I as see. far as trainers go and materials go. So it's just not an easy... But it works. It's yeah. a very good training. Yeah. It's, it, I find it to be very helpful. It asks all the right questions. Especially with the work she does you know? on the crisis mm-hmm. unit. It's perfect. But we have done, I've done assist trainings. We've both done assist training. We've given trainings and then had, I've run into teachers. I've run into coaches. I've run into parents who, who go, they get all excited. I used it. I used it. I knew what to do. I knew what I, I bought, because I, you get that card, a little um, outline card. I, yeah. And they said, and I couldn't remember every step, but we did it. Got them safe. And I said, safe for today is all we can do. That's huge. Absolutely. Safe, safe for today is for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, it's Talk Saves Lives. Um, a lot of the trainings I do right now have been on Safe Talk. Um, AFSP sponsors that, even though it's a Living Works project. Um, we're doing it all over the place. And then um, More Than Sad. So 13 Reasons Why I just came the second season. I started a couple of years ago before 13 Reasons came out and said, you know, everybody should be seeing this. This is about teen depression before they hit the point of suicide. Um, it's, it's a good film for kids to see. And again, AFSP has um, brought it down a little bit that we can bring it into middle schools completely now. Okay. Um, and, um, and as it should be. Yeah, it, sh- it should be because it's, it's real important, you know, because the kids are getting younger and younger. And if they know about suicide, then, you know, then we should be bringing it in, we plain a, and simple. We had a 10-year-old. We do a lot of community conversations. So a community conversation for us would look at I would bring Tracy as an attempt survivor, sit with two lost survivors. They would share not their story, uh, only a snippet of their stories, but then they talk about that's the blended hearts, what they've learned from each other. Mm. You know, Tracy always says, hearing Rosie share her story about losing her son saved her life Mm. because Rosie's voice is in her ear all the time. There's a dark time. So we were doing a community conversation, and a mother asked if she could bring her 10-year-old. Now, usually there had been a suicide in the community, actually two in this particular community, and usually this is our backdoor way of coming in to introduce suicide prevention because we weren't in a position to be able to do post-mention work with this particular community. That would have been the first step. Uh, for a lot of reasons that we couldn't do that. But we could just come in and have a general conversation about mental health and wellness and suicide. 
and we got this email from a, a mother who said, can I bring my son Kieran? And um, we said, I don't, well, I'm not sure. And then she told me why. He wanted to hear someone who had attempted suicide and he, talk about being well. And how old was he? Ten. Land ten, yeah. That's incredible. Ten. Yeah. And he came, and Tracy couldn't make that one, so I shared snippets of her story with him. Um, and he stood there and he said, I have suicidal thinking a lot. I get bullied a lot. He said, so I try to stay busy, do other things, work with my cars. He had aspirational comments too, and that was a good thing because he was talking about the future. Sure. Um, yeah. and, and he said, well, what does Tracy do then if those suicidal, th- those suicidal thoughts come in? I said, she distracts herself. I said, she, I said, there's this thing called dialectical behavior therapy, opposite thinking. And, and I gave him a couple of examples, and he paused for me, and he said, so, okay, so the next time I have those suicidal thoughts, I should do something that I really like to do and makes me feel good. And I thought, whoa, this 10-year-old got it. Totally. This is yeah. why we do what we do. So that's our community in general. We have, we, have a, we have four community coalitions in Bristol County. They're doing a lot of great work. We just bebop around from one to the other. If they need us for anything, they need us for trainings. And, um, and out of that evolved our Blended Hearts program. Great. So let's go into Blended Hearts a little bit more. So I understand it's sort of harnessing all the power within lived experience. So tell Absolutely. us a little bit more about it. Well, the, the Blended Hearts is um, it's an attempt survivor with law survivors that come together. We share our experience. And... Um, they, of course, they share their loss, and then I share how um, a loss survivor has helped me, you know, uh, grow and not think about suicide as much. I mean, granted, I still think about suicide, but, you know, it doesn't come as bad. So, but they, um, but hearing a loss survivor really has helped me and saved my life, Um so when they share, they share how my story impacts them, which is like um, like one of the like one of the guys they said that uh, that by hearing me lifted a great um, like uh, bricks off their shoulders and stuff like weight, mm-hmm. you know. So I was very happy to hear that, you know, just by sharing just a little piece of my story with them. You know. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your story with us today? Oh, yeah. No, I don't mind at all. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, Briefly. small well, small version. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, of course, they can reach out to you after. Uh, sorry, of course, pull. yes. Um, well, I've, uh, I've attempted suicide like about five times, but on the last suicide attempt was really um, it. I ended up in the hospital unconscious. Um, they saved my life. Um, what led up to it? What? What was the, What was your full background? Of being misdiagnosed, overmedicated. Oh yeah, I was. I was also misdiagnosed for like ten years on the wrong medication, uh, overmedicated at times, um, and then I finally came off my meds um, myself, and I searched for a new doctor. And I only did that because I started getting the suicidal thinking again back. So I was afraid that I would attempt suicide again. So I I went back. I found another psychiatrist. They put me on the right medicine. So I was like, okay, so now I'm 
diagnosed properly and you know I felt like that they had put me on some kind of miracle medication or something you know um, because I felt so well afterwards and but it's also all the coping skills that I incorporate into my into my daily living too um, so uh, I know I'm jumping all over the place DBT. So I did DBT, um, dialectical behavior therapy. I did that for about three to four years, um, which that helped me uh, train my my thought process into a positive thought process. It helped me be more mindful about the things that I'm doing, the things that I say. Um, I basically, you know, it's – and then hearing the law survivors, you know – the loss survivors, I think, really um, caught my attention. You know, unfortunately, they had to lose someone to catch mm-hmm. my attention. But um, I still say that if they didn't lose that person and they weren't sharing a piece of their story, there's I wouldn't be here, you know, plain and simple. So how does the R&R operate? Um, <clears throat> so the re-energize and reconnect uh, program that we do. <laughs> um, we do like like simple things like dreams matter and like the wicked awesome wish list and things that you know that we really get into. Um, you know things that we that we wanted to do but we never got a chance to do that we put aside. Um, and I found out that the law survivors did the same thing. As uh-huh. attempt survivors, just we just have similar experiences. It's just, you know, things are, are, are different. They lost someone to suicide, and I attempted. So we both put off things, and then we realized what, what type of um, group that we had mm. that we could actually help one another, you know. And, you know, and I explained to um, the, the lost survivors that, that, you know, that it's not their fault. You know, um, I've also, you know, told them that when I was in the d- deepest, darkest moments of my life that um, I wasn't even thinking about my family or, like, I kept thinking that, well, maybe they'll be better off without me, you know, mm-hmm. that I was such a burden and stuff to them, you know, because I was always not feeling well. So I just kept saying, well, they'll be better off without me, you know what I mean? They'll be happier, yeah, they'll get over it, you know, stuff like that, you know. And I was like, so that's what brought me to my attempt, I mean. But what I share with them is that I tell them that it's not their fault and that there's just a real, real, real tiny like it's so dark it's such a dark tunnel and it's almost like you got tunnel vision but there's no light at the end of the tunnel you know some people they have the light at the end of the tunnel but I never did you know I never had that and that's what forced me to because I just wanted the pain to stop Mm. you know all the pain that I was feeling I just wanted it to stop and I just kept thinking that well you know if I die then everybody will be happier around me you know and that would make everything all right. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And I could see how that would help folks who may have lost someone in their life to understand sort of what their loved one was going through. It yeah. amazed us. 
I mean, we didn't start out that way. This all began it was, when it was um, an accident. It's just it really some, was. It's, it's <laughs> like somebody just wanted me to. Like Bob to, Ross, happy accident. Yeah, yeah right. It, yeah, yeah, it's just as I came in, I said hello to everyone, and I was just sitting down before the meeting was starting. And this was a grief support meeting. Yeah, okay, I yeah, see. and they wanted, and I told them, you know, that I was a temp survivor and that I just wanted to say hello to everyone, and you know. And um, and they just started asking me questions just off the cuff, like, and so I would answer the questions, you know, like they wanted me to share a piece of myself, like I just did. So it started out that way, and I was I was in shock on how their response was because I mean no disrespect to anybody who's lost anybody to suicide, you know, mm-hmm. um, totally not my intent. But when I realized how much a loss survivor has helped me, maybe I could help them. What sorts of things did the loss survivor share with you that have helped you? Oh, the, um, the loss of their loved one and how much pain that mm-hmm. it had caused them and that they, how much love that they really did have for that person and, um, and the struggles that they continue to go through. Yeah, with that person being gone yeah. and all I kept thinking was my god I I would have had done that to my family you know it's compelling it's, yeah to hear it firsthand but when Tracy had come into that grief support meeting we have a kitchen table conversation um, because that was one of the gaps in resources there was there was no grief support in the entire county and I went we have lost how many people and we have no grief support okay this up problem with that so I became certified um, to do that but what happened is when back in 2013 um, as I was producing the documentary A Voice at the Table Tracy was one of the four suicide attempt survivors with Craig Miller and Desiree and Kara Anna and they all said the same thing there are no resources out there now they weren't talking now there were no resources in after their immediately after their attempt that was bad enough but as all of them now were further along in their healing process, there was no check-in place. They didn't want to go to group therapy. You know, they were, some of them were still in yeah. counseling, but they didn't need that. So we developed um, the Re-Energize and Reconnect Wellness Check Workshop. I used to have this enormous name, Wellness Check Workshop for Suicide Attempts. It's the R&R is what we call it. R&R. But as yeah. I was, and you have the wicked what list that you come up with? Wicked awesome wish list. The wicked this awesome wish list. It's Boston. What can I tell That's you? That's right. Massachusetts. <laughs> make sure we got that right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so as I was developing it and creating the the curriculum, because I do that. Uh, that's one of the things that I, I've been trained to do. I I would say to her, I need you to read this. No, I don't want to read that. You know, she didn't want to be in the film. Um, she didn't feel like she fit in. And I said, no, I need you to look at this. And then finally one night, I guess I must have snarled a little bit, perhaps. And she went, she said, oh, right. (laughs) I heard that. (laughs) Um, She said, you know what? She's not an an attempt survivor. So I'm trying to develop a wellness check workshop for attempt survivors based on my lived experience in domestic violence Substance abuse, you know, borrow from 12-step modalities, mindfulness, DBT, do all that. And I'm, am I getting this right? You know, I don't want to, we don't want to put this out if we're not getting it right. So she finally looked at it and she went, uh, yeah, no, take that one out. 
put this one in. And so we put it together. And so originally it was intended for suicide attempt survivors further along the healing path. And that's how our first year went around. But as Tracy started talking to the lost survivors at the grief support, because they'd almost look forward to her coming in, I'm going, this is a little weird. you know. And we got all kinds of pushback from established lost survivor mm. people in the state. What do you mean you had an attempt survivor at a grief support? I said, they invited her in. We didn't force her in, mm-hmm. and we kept getting, you can't do that. And I said, okay, that's the wrong word to use. Don't tell me I can't do something. You know, product of the 60s. The minute you say, don't step on the grass, I'm going to run right across. You know, it can't help of it. Of course. Um, and so um, then the lost survivors, uh, we weren't even a year into doing the, the wellness check workshop with attempt, and the lost survivors, well, can we do that? So all I did was go in and use Microsoft Word and change the word attempt to loss, a few other changes, and we gave them their own, and we started doing that separately. And then we did a focus group one night, and yeah. we, had, we had parents, we had other people, we had teens, we had college kids, we had an 11-year-old going through this. And the se- consensus of the night was, why the hell are we at separate tables? And I said, are yeah. you sure about that? And they said, absolutely. So at 20... AAS 2016, or was it 2015 in Chicago? I'm losing track of that. I think it was 2015 in Chicago. I think Chi- it was Chicago. It was Chicago. We, we gave the presentation at AAS yeah. that this is the end result. Uh-huh. We're bringing both in together. And i got to tell you, there were people who went, you, you can't do that. Really? So you, it wasn't you very can't, well received. You can't no, do that. And we said, we've already done it. And the results are awesome. Right. Um, Because when, because there are the exercises, there is the dreams matter. Um, Like, why haven't you gone to the Grand Canyon? Another attempt survivor said, why did I stop knitting? That relaxes me. We color. Tracy brought, Tracy, I I was reluctant, but Tracy brought in I make them all color. That's great. You know, <laughs> I even got one law survivor to color. Yes, he said he would and, never do it. Um, he said he would never, never do it. And I was just like, no, just try, just try. And found out that his his daughter, who died by suicide, um, liked butterflies. So he found something. So he that goes, I'm going to color this for her. Yeah. And I was like, see, you're going to color. So picture a table like we're sitting at right now, a little bigger, lost survivors, attempt survivors. How many people are we talking about in this group? The most we think we've ever had at a table at one time is 10. It's generally around 7. I'm the no fun lady. I'm the one who sits at the head of the table as the family (laughs) and friends. Uh Right? She keeps us on track. Keep them going. And they've all got their exercises. There's an exercise every month. Okay. Only they get conversational, which is fine. Sure. They color, the banter starts, and I'm the one at the table going, excuse me, excuse me, where we're talking about anger, you know, <laughs> we were talking about, who wants to talk about forgiveness? I don't want to talk, I don't have a hit list, you know, and so it, we, we laugh more than we cry, but there have been moments, yeah, where everybody's been in tears. Mm-hmm. It's a healing, cathartic process. Yes. It's so informal and comfortable, um, and that's that piece of the blended hearts is attempt and loss survivors. We've got that one down. I see. We know it works. Um, we're, we'll be going out to Missouri to train a bunch of people to go, like Johnny Appleseed, go, 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 go do it. Yeah. Yep. Huh. I don't care where you go. Just go have fun and do it. Um, but at the same time we were doing A Voice at the Table, I also realized, said for the first time, Talk about like a duh, you know, could have had a V8 moment. It's like, 
Um, if she's an attempt survivor, that makes me the family of an attempt survivor. Ah. So what the hell's out there? And so I did the research. Nothing. Nothing, nothing. for families of attempt survivors. Didn't even, it wasn't no. even an accepted term. Caregiver was as close as you could get. I went, ooh, I'm not a She's caregiver. awful once she gets an idea in her head. She just runs with it, boy. I love it. I, she just great. Take, I mean, this is such important stuff that nobody was doing. Send me for a yeah. walk, and I'll come back and say, guess what we're going to do next? <laughs> Sometimes I get scared get when she wants to go for a walk because then she'll come back with another idea. Right. And I'll Actual be like, ideas. oh, my God, I can't believe we're doing this again. <laughs> so that's how the family and friends evolved. Okay. As we were doing Before the R and R, jump into yep. the family and friends. Yep. How do folks find out more about the Voice of the Table part of this? Uh, oh, part that part's program? easy. Um, www.voiceatthetable.org, all one word. Um, the website needs major. Up- we have just, of course, this is only since January that. Well, we didn't even revamp the site. Um, probably until Please. February, March, maybe. Okay. Because yeah. we're in May, right? Yeah. We're, we're I'm, May I'm, now, gee, yes. Yeah, hold on to that. So the website is going to be absolutely in, um, opened up, fleshed out. Uh, all of the documentaries that we've, we've done are already linked into there, and then we'll eventually embed them in there. Okay. Um, we've done three webinars now for the family and friends. That and will get embedded in there. there as well. um, okay. But it has all the contact information on it. It's so easy. And all three films are available on Vimeo, too. They're not closed up in a Great. secret little place where, oh, can't we ever Freely see that? Accessible. Freely accessible. Those links are already on, and those links are already on a voiceofthetable.org. Great. Yep. We'll definitely include a link to that. So let's jump now to some of the work you're doing to support family of suicide attempt survivors. It came right out of the uh, the reenergize and reconnect. They're parallel. Um, there are some slight differences, but we've gotten to the point where we overlap. Sometimes, if I come down the stairs, because this all meets in our house. Oh, okay. We live in a 270 year old rectory. That's oh, haunted. Wow. That's another story altogether. Yeah, that's another story altogether. That's another story altogether. Colonial era. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. 1700s. Yeah. Very nice. Oh, it's, okay. it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so, the the exercises were different. Um, it was about fear. It was about control does not equal love. They're trying to understand that I always wa- I had to learn about DBT. You know, I, I did not understand that what I was saying and what I was doing as Tracy was trying to heal was hurting her, not helping her. Mm-hmm. She couldn't receive it as as a positive. So I had to, and we still work on that because it's, we still have our oh, moments. Yeah. I'll stupidly yeah. walk in the room and say, what's wrong with you, instead of saying what happened. Mm. Already giving the, you know, the negative, and she'll just give me the look, and I'll go, okay, I'll go back out. I go back out, and I walk in again and say, hey, so what, what happened today? You know, what's going on? Great. It's always um, an ongoing. It's, it's always an ongoing. Always, yeah, I don't want anybody yeah. to think that, that you get fixed over all of oh, this. Oh, yeah, and it no, goes, it's not a one and done. No. But it definitely helps. It does. And, you know, you've, you've got to keep talking, and that's what, that's what the parent thing is all about, the family and friends is. First of all, you've got to establish the communication. We heard from a lot of attempt survivors they don't want to reestablish the communication with their family because of the damage that happened, because their parents were – paralyzed with fear uh-huh. it's that is hard to process and i understand that sure. um you know parents don't come with a manual i can't tell you how many people said that to us i wish i had a manual to better understand what i was supposed to do when i heard someone say i'm cutting myself or um i'm thinking about suicide 
or I've attempted suicide. No one gives us that manual as parents. So what I took were the exercises that were the most common from what I heard from parents. They were frozen in time. They would ask questions like, uh, and one of the exercises says, you know, here are the most common things people say after someone has had a suicidal crisis. Should I quit my job? Should I take a leave of absence? Geez, we have a vacation in Europe planned in six months. Should I cancel all that? Um, and they just go. Do I do I get do I hire someone to come in, and be here to take care of them? I mean, talk about right over twisted thinking, right? Yeah. And and one of the and at the bottom of that exercise, after you get everybody people to talk about it and write about it and do it, I said, "There's no easy answer here. We have to figure out because there's no support, there's no research to tell us." how we should be here, what research says to do it. So we're doing this anecdotally. We're doing this peer-to-peer right now because there is no research to say if families had done this, perhaps that next attempt would not have happened. It isn't about the person who, and that's the big thing. This is about family members' self-inventory, self-care, not worrying about Tracy came out, just like all other people with attempt survivors, came out pretty much with a safety plan, with a clinician, with a follow-up social worker. With all That was all in place. And absolutely no help was given to the family members. Uh-huh. Still isn't. None, yeah. No. Instead, they go home with literature like is down in, in, the, in the room downstairs to tell you how to take care of your loved one who's in suicidal crisis. Nothing about how to take care of yourself. Sure. So I said, well, that sucks we need to do something about that uh, and so we talk about that we talk about being okay to be angry with your suicide attempt survivor or someone in other suicidal crisis and this is a big blanket it's about non-suicidal self-injury it's about people with chronic suicidal thinking which no one in the field is talking about um, eating disorders that was something I learned just within a year how much e- an eating disorder can lead to major depression can lead to a whole bunch of other things that can end up in suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was a, um, I, so 15 years as a battered woman, my background is domestic violence, had no clue that 20% of all survivors, men and women, after they have left the violence, 20% will have a suicidal crisis. Mm-hmm. You could have knocked me over with a feather. I didn't know that. You know, so we're not doing, we're not coming at this the right way. So we're going peer to peer. Um, And the forgiveness is a hard one, a real hard one. We do the bear hugs kettle in both of them. Yeah. What's the bear bear hugs what? Bear hugs kettle. Kettle. Okay, what is that? I love this out in Colorado. I'm going to be talking about bears, right? That's right. Yeah. Emmett Fox, theologian, um, and um, long gone. Uh, okay, but explain the bear hugs kettle. Bear hugs kettle is that uh, the campfire's <laughs> there. Uh, the guys leave the campfire. Bear comes in, grabs the kettle because it smells good. Uh-huh. Instinctively, if the bear is hurt, it's going to crush. You try to hurt a bear, they're going to crush you. They'll maul you or crush you, right? Uh-huh. And the hotter it got, the more he hugged it. And the hotter it got, the more he hugged it, and the more it hurt him. Kettle won, bear lost. We do that with our comfort zones. I stayed in a brutally abusive marriage because that was my comfort zone. I see. All right? Parents who are terrified about a loved one, whether it's a teenager, an adolescent, or an adult, go only with what they know, which is fear-driven. And they'll hug that kettle until it does a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. 
they have to, it's let go, you know, no frozen singing, please, oh, let it go, but it's let, you gotta let that, you gotta throw that let kettle away. My niece sings that one. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song. Yeah. Um, and so that's how we talk to the parents, that okay, you so have, part of this is about the, the essence of it is let yeah. go, and that's terrifying. Because parents are living in fear. We've heard parents talk about listening in the bedroom door to make sure they're still breathing. Mm. Um, not going out anymore. And that's no exaggeration. Together. I mean, they're actually... They're actually doing yeah, it. Yeah, they're actually doing it. We knew someone that took the doors off their bedroom door yep. of their child. Mm-hmm. Of a 20-something-year-old. Took the bedroom doors off and was like... Mm, I, she turned and she said, that was good. I said, put the damn doors back on. What are you, what are you teaching them? Love is not control. We can't fix it, you know. Um, so, and it gets really subtle and more subtle and more subtle. And then at one point, Tracy said, "We just should bring everybody to the same table." I love it. And I went, uh, "I don't know how many parents and attempt survivors we can bring to the table together yet, but it's a good idea." Right. Okay. Aspirational. There could still be some aspirational. Yeah. Yeah, there might be some animosity there, though. And there are things that that uh, that um, uh, the loved one may want to talk about very openly at, at the R and R that they sure as hell don't want to talk about. They're not ready yet to talk about if if their their parent is at the table, and I get that. But see, that's what we have to. That's what we have to address. We have to rebuild that trust. Mm-hmm. We have to rebuild that trust. We have to find ways to rebuild that trust because the best hope the family members have of living happily, and the suicidal crisis people living happily, and lost survivors who share that they get some of the same kind of judgment from their family. They can't talk about their loved ones. Can't mention names of someone they've lost within their family. And so that same different cause, same emotional impact. And so, so we have lost survivors say, well, I can't talk about it either. And, I, and it's like, okay, we got a problem here. Yeah, too much silence. It's way, silence is going to mm. kill us, you know. And, and, God, I knew that in domestic violence. That used to be one of the mantras. It, the silence will make you sick and the silence will kill you. Um, Jess used that beautiful quote about silence in, in her luncheon, um, the inju- social injustice. She used a, a, a quote about that the oh, silence. Let me see if I can pull The si- silence will kill us. Um, so that's what we do. So the blended hearts now have all come together. Okay, um, so just recap that for us. We've got the families temp- of suicide attempt temp survivors. survivors. Okay, go ahead. Uh, families of anyone in a suicidal crisis. Okay. Attempt NSSI. Um, eating disorders, suicidal thinking, uh-huh. whatever creates that, I've got to go to the emergency room and they're going to put suicide on it. All right, we've got the parents and friends, close friends. We've got a couple of college friends who had to intervene, so they're part of our group too. And then we have lost survivors and attempt survivors. I see. Yep, and so that's the family that we have created on a voice at the table. Voice at the table. Yep, yep, the table. It came back to that first <laughs> That's how we named the documentary. We were sitting around the table, and we kept and I kept hearing that there were no attempt survivors at AAS's tables. And I said, well, where's their voice? And I got the shaking head, there isn't one. I said, well, that voice has to be at the table. And we all went, oh, damn, we've got a name. Eureka. Uh, <laughs> right. A voice at the it's table. perfect. Yeah, and it makes so much yeah, sense. Yeah, it wasn't rocket science. It down. And so that's why everything's under that blanket, because no matter what group of people, 
And we haven't even touched cultural, cultural competency here yet. We haven't, I said it to Shelby yesterday, we haven't even talked about how do Native people fit into this? Uh-huh. How does the military fit into this? That's a whole different culture. Sure. Because Tracy has did a, um, a presentation with Tom Cruise Okay. At AAS, yeah. he beamed in from Belgium on Facebook Live. Oh, that's impressive. Yeah. It was. It was cool. It, was, it impressed really the hell out cool. of us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I went, it's, it works. Yeah, I know, right? And so we start talking it's about it. military families, you know, and, and, and what sort so we haven't even investigated that end of it, let alone um, people of color. Uh, we have a member on our uh, Massachusetts Coalition Board. Um, who's Asian, from the Asian community, and she and I have talked about this a lot, and she said, you want to talk about silence. Right. You know, and so we haven't even begun to go get to the point, so that's the work down the line, is in a, while it, we think it's, it's an incredible program that will do a lot of good and bring a lot of healing, it still has a lot of work to be done to be all-inclusive. Absolutely. Well, um, Absolutely. I know we've covered a lot today. Yes, we have. I don't know luck. that we would be able to ever cover it all. So I think we'll have to have you guys back to talk Anytime. more. But do you Can have I, a, cl- a quote yeah, here maybe that yeah. you want to Like to share? end with? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, the title is The Personal is Political. I have come to believe over and over again that what is most important to me must be spoken, made verbal, and shared even at the risk of having it bruised or misunderstood. I was going to die, if not sooner than later, whether or not I had ever spoken myself. My silences had not protected me. Your silence will not protect you. And the author is Audre Lorde, The Transformation of Silence into Language and Action. Excellent. Wow. Well, I feel like we've learned so much today, and you can carry that on by visiting avoiceatthetable.org. And thank you so much, Anne-Marie and Tracy. We look forward to having you back. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great. Well, that'll be it for today, folks. Please give us a comment, a like, share with us your feedback or reaction to today's discussion. And uh, until next time, join us for more interviews on important work going on in suicide prevention and lived experience. (music) 